Hello and welcome to Healthline 3. I'm Terry Simmons. With us today is Dr. Jim Barnes, Chief of Staff at Christus Highland Medical Center. And we're talking today about bariatric surgery. So if you have a question regarding this type of surgery, which is weight loss surgery, please call the number you'll see on your screen throughout the show. It's 318-219-4569. And be sure, since we can hear you and you can hear us, make sure you're in a quiet room and your TV is turned all the way down before making your call. So Dr. Barnes, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Terry. Oh, always a pleasure. Love talking to you about this. It's such a uh, a life-changing and life-saving surgery that we talk about constantly. I love it. It's bariatric surgery, and let's describe exactly what that is. Yeah, so, um, and it is life-changing. I mean, yeah. I, I think that's that's um, something that, that, you know, we see all the time. Um, uh, bariatric surgery is weight loss surgery uh, for people that are morbidly obese. And so, you know, it's not for people that are 20, 30 pounds overweight, but those that are 90 to 100 pounds or more overweight, um, is t are typically going to be a candidate uh, for surgery, and so, uh, and we'll talk about the operations that we do, the gastric bypass and the sleeve gastrectomy, uh, and we just see really amazing results with that. You know, people lose, you know, 60 to 75 percent of their excess weight, so we see a, a nice weight loss. Um, they get so much healthier afterwards, and that's a huge part of this too. You know, the the medical issues like diabetes and high blood pressure and sleep apnea and, and uh, you know, joint problems, knees and back and reflux disease and you know, all these things, uh, we have see a, a very high cure rate after surgery. Most people get off the vast majority of their medications, if not all of it. Um, and, uh, and so people are just healthier and then they feel better too. And that's another big part of this. People are just able to get more active. You know, I hear every week people come in and you know, tell me a, a list of stuff that they can now do that, that they couldn't do before surgery. And so we always love hearing that too. And we always talk about how quick it is too, like very quickly after surgery. You see definitely blood sugar, diabetes, everything starts to heal very quickly. It does, yeah. The, you know, the weight loss comes pretty fast, especially early on. Um, the medical issues, um, you know, some faster than others, but like diabetes is, is a great example. It, you know, it, it goes away. Type 2 diabetes or adult onset diabetes right. um, usually is gone within 36 to 48 hours after surgery. Uh, I mean, it's just like that. And, and so, and, and honestly, we don't even fully understand why that is, the pathways that lead to that. Um, there's some, you know, significant hormonal changes in the body. Um, that trigger that and so you know we see these folks that are on you know medication for their diabetes and a day or two after surgery they're off their medications their blood sugars are, are normal uh, and it's the vast majority of people that that occurs so it's pretty crazy that's remarkable to see the already the body wants to heal itself so quickly it's yeah, really happy to yeah. get that and get that rolling and when you look at something like diabetes uh, you know in the short term diabetes is just kind of a nuisance you know you have to take a pill, you have to watch what you eat, you have to check your sugars, but, but long-term with diabetes is when all these catastrophic things come in, you know, amputations and, and you know, kidney failure and dialysis, uh, um, blindness, losing your vision, uh, and these are all very real complications that occur with diabetes as, as people get older with it. And so uh, when you talk about an operation that will usually cure that uh, and very quickly, you know, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, and you touched on a point that we really don't talk about that much and expand on something like diabetes where it we sound, okay, it's either insulin controlled or not. Sometimes with your diet, you be that healthy, but the long-term 
um, effects that can happen to your body. Yeah. Um, we don't talk about that very much, and I've, we see it all the time, though. I've seen it in my own family and friends with amputations and blindness and yeah. all of the things that can occur if it doesn't get under control. Yeah, diabetes is just a long term. It's just a really horrible disease, yeah. and, and so uh, that's one of my favorite things about this surgery is when we can take somebody that's di you know been diabetic for 10, 20 years and then we can just reverse it just like that. Um, you know, it's, and I hear all the time, I wish I would have done this, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, it's never too late. It's still, yep. if, you can, if you can reverse that, even people, we do them in their 60s and 70s, uh, you know, and, and you can reverse that diabetes, that's a big deal. That is a big deal. Yeah. And, and speaking of how quickly things can turn around, the surgery itself has gotten much faster, much more beneficial to the patient and the doctor and the team, and because it's done robotically. It and is, we've yeah. we talked about that. And, and that's, that's such a great advancement in the last, you know, more, more recent years here in terms of how we do the surgery. And we talked a minute ago briefly about this, but, uh, you know, I started doing these 26 years ago. I've been doing this for a long time. And, and back when we started, uh, you know, we did them through a big open incision. You know, everybody got an incision this long on the belly. Um, and we would go in there and they'd, you know, they'd spend four or five days in the hospital and it'd take six weeks recovering from the surgery. Uh, it was still a great operation, but the way it had to be done was just hard on the patients. And then, uh, and then in the late 90s is when laparoscopy really took off and we started doing them all through the, through the little incisions laparoscopically. Um, and, uh, and, and that was a big advance. That cut the hospital stay down, that, that, that cut the recovery period down, uh, less pain afterwards. Um, but we're seeing even more of that now with the robotic surgery, which, which, um, which is how we do all these operations now. Uh, and we're gonna show some video of that here in, uh, today of, of you know, what that looks like because you know, most people don't have a real good conception of what that is. And so uh, with the robotic surgery, we've cut the hospital stay in half. So it's now just one night in the hospital. Uh, recovery is even quicker than it was before, so most people are back to work in about a week and a half or so, um, and uh, uh, less pain afterwards, and so we see some great advantages with yeah. that. I'm glad you brought up the video. Our directors are getting that ready to show right now, so we're going to get that rolling, and then we'll come back around and talk about who's eligible and what it takes to actually prepare for the surgery. Yeah. But you, been thank you so much for allowing us to show this video. This is something that you actually shot. We won't see the patient or anything, but this is actually you. And as soon as we get that up rolling, there you go. So tell us what's going on. Here. Yeah. Okay. So this is uh, and, and this is actual footage of an actual operation. So we're so we're in the operating room here. Um, you can see the white arms there on the screen, that's the robot, and the robot is up at the patient, and I'm, then, then that's me way over there in the corner of the room, so I'm um, sitting away from the patient, and then using these hand controls and also foot controls, I'm controlling those robotic arms, and so as I move stuff around with that, the instruments that are inside uh, the patient are mimicking the movements that I make, so if I you know, move my hand back or forth, the instrument inside the patient will go back and forth or twist or open up and close scissors or, uh, you know, anything that any instrument we have in there, I can I control it over here. And, um, and so it's still the surgeon doing all of the surgery. It's not like you program something in and it just does its own thing. So I'm controlling every movement that the robot makes. But instead of standing up at the table where you see the nurses right there, I'm over on the side of the room, you know, doing all this stuff uh, with the robot. And so 
it gives us a lot more precision. Uh, I'm able to do a lot of things that I couldn't do laparoscopically. Um, um, we've seen the complication rate, which was already very low, go, is even lower now with the robotic surgery. Um, and uh, it's just been a great, uh, a great advancement um, when we do this operation. There's a patient underneath all that blue stuff there, <laughs> and, and they were, you know, they're all draped out. Um, and you saw the robot, you know, kind of uh, hovering over the patient there, and and uh, uh, with the robotic arms. Yeah, and while we we're watching that, we can see the, we could see the arms moving in that clint too, and that was you were controlling that from over exactly, there. Exactly. So yeah. again, it's not programmed. The, the robot isn't acting on its own at all. No. You are doing no. it. I'm, I'm, I'm doing 100% of the movements myself. Yeah. And, and again, it basically just mimics what I'm doing. So if I've got my hands in, in the controls, if I, if I do this with my hand, then the instrument that's inside the patient will turn like that. Mm -hmm. Or if I've got scissors hooked up, if I go like this with my fingers, then the scissors will open up. And then I'm, when I'm ready to cut something, I just go like that with my fingers and then the scissors inside the patient will close and cut. And so it just, and, and so we can sew, we can, you know, all this stuff that you can do, it's kind of virtually, it's almost like a really fancy video game in a way, you know, you know you're just, you're, you know, you're over here on this machine doing this stuff, but then that's actually translated uh, to what's going on inside the patient. And also you're looking through, you're looking at something too. You're yes, looking yeah. through the camera that's in there. So yes. you, with such precision, you can actually even get a closer look than if you were standing at the yes. table. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because you can bring that camera right down on top of what you're doing. And so I'm looking looking in at the uh, image through here, and and the camera is set up. It's got two different cameras going down through one tube, and so that gives us a 3D image, which is also something that you did not have with just plain laparoscopy. So now, um, instead of a two-dimensional image, I've got a three-dimensional image. So it's almost it, you know it's like you're looking at it in real time. But it, but it's you know through here. So the visualization is 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 uh, also a huge advantage. You can just see every little thing in there. And you mentioned foot pedals too. What are those controlling? Yeah. So the foot pedal, <laughs> you know, you swap between arms. Um, uh, you can. Uh, there's a million different things you control with them. And and uh, um, you know it, it it was a lot. It was a lot to learn when mm -hmm. I first learned how to do this. It's a imagine. very steep learning curve. Uh, there's a lot of stuff involved with it. Um, I spent about a year working on this until we actually started doing it for real, and that's kind of the that's just kind of what it takes. You know, you have to, you know, practice for you know a long time just with a trainer that you use, and and you know you go and watch other robotic surgeons uh, do the surgery. Um, um, you go to a training facility where you you work on on uh, uh, like animals and cadavers and things like that. And, and practicing with the robot, um, and then when you're finally ready to start doing your your own cases, then they have a proctor that comes in. So you've got uh, an established surgeon there, you know, with you as you do your first handful of cases, uh, sort of in a supervisory role. And so um, Intuitive, who's the company that that does the robot, they have you know a very extensive program because they don't want to just throw people in and turn them loose, because you're not going to have good outcomes that way. And so they have a a, a great training program to get you to that point where you can you know get in there and be really confident that you're going to be doing a good operation um, and then uh, after all that training you kind of just hit the ground running and I very quickly switched everything to robotics I, I, I do hundred percent of my surgery robotically now because it really does make that big of a difference and how many so do you have a number in your mind do you know how many of these surgeries you've done 
Um, all total, I don't have an exact number. I would somewhere around 500 probably. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, um, we do them, I've been doing them for two and a half, three years now this way exclusively. Mm -hmm. um, um, and we'll do, um, usually I operate usually two to three days a week and we'll, f you know, frequently at least three, sometimes four operations a day. Yeah. And so the other thing I found is that, because we were pretty quick doing these laparoscopically and I was worried that when we got on the robot it was going to kind of slow things down. Um, and it did the first few, of course, when sure. you're sort of, you know, still getting into it. But, but we found now that we're actually uh, doing the surgery faster than we could laparoscopically, uh, which is great. Um, we're because I've recently been looking at all this data, and, and we found that the uh, the hospital stays decreased by a full day because when we did it laparoscopically, it was always two nights in the hospital, and now it's almost always one night in the hospital. <laughs> uh, so we cut the hospital stay in half. Um, Cost-wise, um, it's going to be very equivalent to the laparoscopic surgery. Some of the, sometimes it's a hair less, sometimes it's a hair more, but it's basically pretty much the same as it is, uh, you know, so in terms of cost for the hospital and, and the, the equipment that we use. Um, and um, so it's just, you know, pretty much across the board advantageous all the way around. Yeah, all the way around, and we talk about that too, how it's always you know, an advantage for the patient and the doctor. But even just staying one night less in the hospital, that helps everything all the way around with hospitals and what we learned with COVID and the flu and all the hospitals being so full. Yeah. Getting to stay one last night and go home out of the hospital atmosphere where it's, we know it's clean and healthy, but you're also, you get to go home faster. Yeah, so and anything and like that's controlled. And everybody, you know, I mean, everybody wants to get home. I mean, yeah. nobody likes staying in the hospital and, you know, it's hard to sleep at night in the hospital. and. And so, yeah, so when you can get these folks, and, and they're ready to go, you know, when I go in and, and round on them the next afternoon, you know, they're like dressed and saying, okay, you know, can, you know I want to go home. Can I go home? Uh, and, and so, you know, they're ready to go. And, and you're right. I mean, it, it, it's nice for a patient only have to spend one night in the hospital, for family members not to have to, you know, try to sleep on a recliner in the hospital room or whatever. It's great for them. Um, and also, uh, you know, and it started with COVID, but we still sometimes have issues with bed availability. Right. And so, um, you know, that just kind of helps the system in general when you can get people out a day earlier and, and free, free up, up those bed. beds. Yeah, um, because there's still, you know, there's still nursing shortages, there's still bed shortages. You know, it's not like it was back when COVID was at its peak, but, mm -hmm. uh, but we still, you know, struggle with those issues as well. Yeah, so anytime, it helps all the way around. Yeah. You know, get home and free up a bed. And, Absolutely. And, and when it's planned, it's not just like, okay, we need you out here because we need the bed. Right, it's yeah, like, and that's, that's why I said, they're yeah. ready. it's not they're like ready. we're pushing people good. out the door. No, they're, they're, they're ready to go. They're yeah. asking them to leave. So, which again goes back to, you know, these, pay, the, you know, they, the, and I'm not saying you don't have pain after surgery, of course sure. you do, but, but it's less even than when we did it laparoscopically. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, by the afternoon of that next day, you know, most people are up walking around, they're, you know, they're ready to go. Yeah, and before the surgery was absolutely just as successful, everything was safe and good, but you did have that big incision that needed to heal. So did you have to come back and get stitches out or did yeah, you have to, what would, was the process before? we would do, before? and this is, you know, this is a long time ago now, this is 25 years ago, but yeah, we, I mean, they would, uh, you know, they have a big incision. They would have staples closing the skin that we would have to, you know, take out in the office. Uh, you had more, you know, potential wound issues, more hernias developed, um, um, and definitely a much slower recovery period afterwards. Mm -hmm. And so, um, um, 
Uh, this has allowed us to avoid all of that stuff. We close the incisions, so you end up with six incisions. They're about this big, so they're tiny. Uh, we close them with glue, something called Dermabond, which is uh, uh, just a, basically a medical super glue. Mm -hmm. And we put that on all the incisions so there's not even any stitches to come out. The glue just peels off in about two weeks on its own and just kind of kind of comes off and and uh, leaves a real nice scar. So It's pretty amazing, too, how the skin will heal and bond. And yeah. It just, yeah. uh, the body does that. Yeah. You know, it's just glued together, but the skin just, yeah. okay. And it's nice not having to do stitches. It's nice for the patient, because then you don't have to have stitches taken out or anything like that. You can shower the next day, because the glue's waterproof once <laughs> it dries. Uh, and so, uh, you know, they can shower right away the next day, which yeah. is nice. So. And I would think this surgery, not more than others, but this is a whole lifestyle that you want to get changed in. It sounds like this just really adds to the reason for the surgery and why you want to do it. It's the quality of life. You want to get back into your life, and that's got to be reassuring for your patients. Like, it's almost instant that I'm in this new lifestyle. Yeah. And, and you know, people don't realize how difficult it is being morbidly obese. Right. and. And um, you know, for for a lot of different reasons, there's you know the you know the physical, you know all the medical issues. There's just you know, you just don't feel good, and your knees hurt, and you get out of breath, and um, and then there's all the social issues too that go along with obesity and the and you know the bias that that our society has against people that are overweight, um, and, uh, and and so um, you know so much of that you know gets better, and I you know you hear. Uh, you know, I get to hear all these things that patients tell me that they couldn't do before surgery. Even, you know, simple stuff like, you know, crossing your legs. You know, I, women all the time, you know, tell me that they hadn't been able to cross their legs in 20 years. And then they sit there and they can cross your legs like you're doing. And, yeah. and, and they just haven't been able to do that before. So just even little stuff like that, people get really excited about. Yeah, things we take for granted sometimes. Yeah. Until. Yeah. Oh, we have a caller for you. All right. Hi, Tara. Thanks for calling. What's your question? Uh, well, my question is, why um, do some people have success with things like Golo, and some don't, and they have to resort, resort to gastric bypass or something? Or are these Golo commercials and those kind of things not really even true? Well, you know, what we found with morbid obesity is that really the only thing that works long term is surgery. And you know you can you know there's a million different ways to and I don't do non-surgical weight loss so I don't I don't really keep up with all that stuff but there's a million yeah, different ways that you can lose some weight without surgery um, but if you go back and look at these people afterwards you know 95 plus percent of people are going to regain their weight back uh, over time and so um, you know the only thing that really has a, a, a significant weight loss and a long-term weight loss which is key I mean you don't want to do this and then gain your weight back in next year um, and, and and that can happen even with surgery but the, the majority of people this is going to be a permanent long-term weight loss um, and that's what you don't see with non-surgical mm -hmm. weight loss for morbid obesity yes sir okay Thank you. All right. Thanks for your call. Yeah, thank you, Tara. That's a really good question to lead into what we're about to talk about. Who is a candidate for this? And like you said, you're, this is by the time they come to you, you're the weight loss surgeon. They've probably already tried everything. They have talked to their doctor. They have done everything they can. Yeah. And they, they do reach a certain limit. Their BMI is at a certain number. They are uh, clinically obese. Um, they, they want their quality of life to improve. They want to feel healthier, and that's when it's time for surgery, where before no one thought they had this. Now this is an opportunity that we didn't know that we could really have this surgery. 
Yeah, and it's and it and it's been around for a long time, but it didn't really get a lot of traction until you know maybe the last you know twenty twenty five years something mm -hmm. like that probably is when it's really uh, just taken off exponentially because you know they they first started doing these operations you know sixty seventy years ago. Mm -hmm. um, now they've changed. We don't do the same operations that they did back when this first started, but. Um, but it's gotten now where it's very, uh, and for good reason, it's very accepted. You know, people um, recognize the, you know, the, the results that we have with this. And so, um, you know, it's gotten more, you know, just the lay public, just people out there, you know, everybody kind of knows a little bit about, you know, weight loss surgery. You hear about it a lot more. Uh, the primary care doctors are much more uh, eager to refer people when they have patients that are overweight. Uh, it's just very accepted and, and again for good reason because it's it's what works. Yeah, do you think it was, it seemed like before it was talked about this much, I remember always being in the, oh we have a call, hold my question. I'm okay. Right Hi Lisa, what is your question for Dr. Barnes? Yes, I have a lap band and I want to know, um, can I still get a gastric sleeve and also does TRICARE pay for that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So um, uh, lap bands, uh, the answer is yes to both of your questions, to, uh, to say answer shortly. But um, TRICARE does cover bariatric surgery. They have, they're, they're actually really pretty straightforward to work with. Um, lap band is an operation that was very popular, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, and it's basically where you take a, a, a band and you wrap it around the top of the stomach and then there's a balloon on the inside of the band um, mm -hmm. that you can inflate which will control the size of the opening going through the stomach and then there's a little port under the skin that you can inject to increase or decrease the amount of fluid in that balloon so you can sort of you know adjust how, how big that opening is. Um, and it was very popular for a while um, I was never a huge fan of them, but I, we did put some in too. Um, but what we've started, you know, seeing with them is that long-term people, most people, were gaining their weight back, and then um, and then there were some complications that started showing up too. You know, the band would slip, it would erode into the stomach, mm -hmm. it could get infected, um, and so we've gotten away from those. Uh, we I, I quit doing lap bands probably uh, eight nine years ago. Uh, most people mm -hmm. don't offer those anymore, so but we deal with them a lot because there were so many of them uh, done. Um, but uh, but what we do with that? But getting back to your question, um, we um, um, typically will take the lap band out first, and I do that as a separate operation, and that's usually not too bad mm -hmm. of a surgery. It's an outpatient surgery, uh, and we remove the band let the stomach heal up because the stomach's kind of roughed up from that band being around it, uh, usually a couple of months or so, and then we can go back and do either a sleeve gastrectomy or a gastric bypass, and those are both options after you take the band out. Um, and then we see, you know, really much different results because those are just much better operations than the lap end was. So that's something we do a lot, actually, yeah. I see, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you for calling. That's a really good question. I forgot about the lap band. I remember hearing yeah. about that years ago yeah. too. Yeah, it was popular for yeah. a while because it's, you know, it, it was a smaller operation. It was pretty quick and easy to do, and and in the short term, people did pretty good with it. Uh, but you know, long term, as as people got further out, we started to see that 
that most people just weren't getting very good results with it long term. And like anything, it's just progressed into these two procedures that are just seem to work the yeah. best long and, term. Yeah, you know, and, and interestingly, the gastric bypass, which is still my favorite operation for weight loss, um, it's been around for over 50 years. You know, it's sort of been the one that's just kind of always here, you know, <laughs> it's always steady, it, it's always been a great operation. Um, uh, and uh, and again, I still that's still my first choice for most people. That's still the most common operation that I do. I think that still has the best results of anything out there. But then over that 50 plus years, you know, there's been operations that have that have come and gone. And there was you know the uh, uh, stomach stapling or the the VBG operation uh, that got real popular for a while, and then it kind of went away. And then the lap band got real popular <laughs> for a while, and it kind of went away. Uh, the sleeve now has gotten much more popular. Uh, remains to be seen what's going to happen with that, uh, you know. But but throughout that time, that gastric bypass has just been right there uh, all along, and and uh, um, still for most people, that's usually uh, I, I think the you know the first choice for for me. Mm -hmm. And do you think before, like we talk about how it's it's not more common now, but maybe more accepted now, and you do hear about a lot more talk about it now, that 50 years ago or when gastric bypass was done a lot, it seemed like it was more of, not an emergency as we do think emergencies, but like you are really heading down, you really need this to save your life and, and help yourself. And do you feel like now people are kind of educated and they're asking before they get too sick about it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and also I think, you know, early on, I mean, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, you don't need that unless you're like 500 pounds. Yeah. And, you know, it was sort of an extreme measure. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, that sort of thinking has kind of gone away now because we realize that you don't have to be 500 pounds to benefit from this. And, 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 and most of my patients are not that size. Most of my patients are, you know, 250, 300, you know, you know more in that range is much more common that I deal with. And, um, and, uh, um, and you know because it, you know there's such great benefits for for that age range. I mean that weight range as mm -hmm. well. well uh, we talked about you know uh, who's a candidate for yeah. surgery, and and um, we do that based on the body mass index or the BMI, which is a ratio looking at your height and weight together. And so, and I say that because that's something that that you know people listening at home can check very easily. You can just get online and get a. Uh, you know, search for a BMI calculator, and all you do is put in your height and your weight, and it's very simple, and then it will give you a number. And so the numbers that we use, you, if you have a BMI of 40 or greater, it's pretty straightforward and you're gonna be a candidate for surgery. Um, if you're between 35 and 40, most insurance companies require that you have at least one other health issue, like the diabetes, high blood pressure diabetes. Uh, and, uh, and if you do, then, um, uh, then, then you're, they're going to cover it typically. Uh, if you're under 35, then we generally consider that's not really a candidate for bariatric surgery right now. Now there has been some 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 recent talk and and you know where we feel like if you have a significant health issue like diabetes, that that number should be lowered to a BMI of 30, and that's sort of you know the insurance companies aren't there yet, but that's kind of where we have gotten to, um, and, and and so that's sort of the baseline of you know whether you qualify or not and so that's something people can kind of check it th themselves at home very easily yeah and which is a really interesting point too because we talk about like you said it used to be that obvious we thought people had to wear 500 pounds very obviously needed to do something 
and you can't tell by looking at something how their health is or what they might need to do or what they, you know, yeah. a BMI. You might look at someone and think, you know, because it isn't just the weight and it isn't just, um, there's and a lot that comes into and it. And sometimes these people are, you know, not everybody has all these medical issues. You yeah. know, a lot of times, especially, you know, folks that are younger, you know, they're healthy. Because when you're in your 20s and 30s and 40s, you can kind of get away with being morbidly obese and, and it doesn't always affect your health very much. And, and, you know, I see that all the time in my younger patients. They, you know, they're not on any medicines. They don't have any big med medical issues. But, you know, you can only maintain that for so long. And as you start getting in your 50s and 60s, all that stuff really starts creeping in. And then, you know, then you start, and then that's when all the medications start coming and all that. And so I think even people in that younger age range are great candidates because, you know, if you can do the surgery then and, and, and never develop all those medical problems, which is what we see happening, you know, if you do it in your 20s, you know, especially if you've got maybe a family history of some of that stuff, you know, you may never get any of that in your lifetime because you, you took that step when you were younger, not to treat what you have, but to prevent from getting that down the road. So you could be someone who is, you know, large, and I've just felt this good all the time. I've yeah. always been like, but I feel healthy. Yeah. I don't have any medical issues. I feel yeah. good, but still I am at a high BMI. I, yeah. you know, I'm just gonna go ahead and, and get the weight off just to make sure that I'm healthy going forward. Absolutely. So that'd yeah. be a good decision. Oh yeah, you yeah. see that all the time. Do you? Yeah. Okay, yeah. thank you so much for bringing that video. That was um, yeah, pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I, I thought that would be nice for folks to kind of see and get a feel for what this really looks like. Cause yeah. it's hard to just describe it without mm -hmm. seeing you know some footage like that. I yeah. think that's nice. And they couldn't see you, but you were like, your hands were going right along with it the whole time. <laughs> it was fascinating for me. I watched you movements. more than I watched the video, I think. It was really fascinating. So thank you, Dr. Barnes, as always, for talking to us about this. We appreciate it. Thank you for it. having me. And thank you, everyone, for joining us for Healthline 3. We will see you next time.